Uh, great to see you all this morning. If you're new this morning, um, you're really, really welcome here to Redeemer. Um, it's great to have you. Um, uh, what a beautiful time of worship, actually, that was this morning. Um, I was really blessed by that as well. Um, thanks to the guys who led us so wonderfully well. And for, yeah, thank you guys. And uh, for Ryan and Steph and, and Jude for exhorting us and calling us to, to Jesus. I'm going to help to continue to do that this morning for the rest of our time. I'm going to share. Um, You've got a Bible in front of you, so if you could open it, they're just sitting on your tables, or if you've got a smartphone app, it's Palm Sunday, so we're going to dig into this particular passage in Matthew 21, 1 to 11, so look that up, because we love to engage with the scriptures in this community, um, as it reveals the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as we enter Holy Week. We want to begin this week with what goes on on Palm Sunday, so I'm going to read it. Everyone ready? Matthew 21, 1 to 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethage, to the Mount of Olives, where Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. Then they brought the donkey and the colt and put put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Nazareth of Galilee. So on Friday night, um, the European premiere of Game of Thrones was in Belfast. Did anybody know that? Hands up if you knew that. Hands up if you're a fan of Game of Thrones. A few people. (laughs) Dodgy territory to talk about in church. Don't want to reveal that we're fans of uh, Game of Thrones. It's going to get worse for me, so you're all okay just in this moment. Um, If you're a fan of the show, Friday night, season eight, the finale of this HBO show. If you were down at the Waterfront Hall in Belfast, you would have seen Jon Snow and I assume Tyrion Lannister. I don't know, all the different characters. Some celebs were in town, industry insiders were in town to see what this show, which is really home, home in Northern Ireland, really, uh, this show has been like filmed here, produced here, and it's, I think, one of the biggest TV dramas ever made by certain numbers, viewing numbers, revenue, all the rest of it. Rewind, rewind nine years ago, nine years back to the summer of 2010, and uh, like every other 20 something year old in Northern Ireland with facial hair, I thought I'd try and make a wee bit of money during the summer <laughs> and uh, go and work as an extra on Game of Thrones. Uh, yes, so if you watch it, that's one thing. If you're actually in it, that's another. Uh, six whole seconds in season one. Um, amazing. I can't believe I'm really talking about this, to be honest. 
It's not that I wholly endorse it. Discretion is needed. If only I had really known perhaps maybe just how explicit the show was going to be. I might not have maybe got involved. I don't know. It was, it was quite fun though. So acting as Tyrion Lannister's bodyguard with a coat of armor and a sword coming in on, oh, there he is. Oh, yep. In the background. I think that's Tyrion Lannister in the front. Is that right? If he, who knows? I don't know. So in the background, yeah, that's, that's me. You can take that off the screen now, Jack, very quickly. <laughs> That's one of the six seconds in Game of Thrones that I start in. So it was very fun spending a whole week earning a little bit of money. I've got a funny story to tell off the back of it, um, but obviously acting career wasn't for me. Um, but despite the, the graphic nature of Game of Thrones, um, it's actually uh, won a lot of plaudits because I suppose, as any series does, it explores the same stories of human of humanity, I suppose, that are found throughout history, are found in reality, and found and told in, in all sorts of drama and fiction. Um, when there's a throne to claim, when there's a kingdom to capture, there always seems to be a guy on a horse with a sword ready to take on the competing powers. It seems to be the, the story. It's like this image of the triumphant man on the horse it is, is, it's really like a cliche nearly in a sense, but actually this is exactly the way that we should read the gospel stories and I'll get into that in a moment because today is Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of the week, Holy Week. So as Christians, as followers of the way of Jesus, this is a really big week for us. It's an important week that we mark the person Jesus. It's a week when the man Jesus of Nazareth would compete in his own Game of Thrones finale, so to speak, so to speak, and that will become apparent because the the correct way to read the gospel stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are to think of it as a Game of Thrones, or to quote N.T. Wright, to think of it as the moment when God became king. For any of you who want to dig into the theology of this, his book, When God Became King, which is just sitting right there is where you need to go for this, for deeper theological reflection. Where are we at this, in this story? What's been happening with the life of Jesus? Up to, up to this point in time, three years, Jesus has been in public ministry, building towards this moment that we're gonna talk about today. This week, Holy Week. Three years since he was baptized by his father. Three years have passed since last week's talk when Jesus was in the desert, facing temptation with Satan in the desert passing that test, so to speak, three years have passed and now Jesus is in his passion week. He's to journey through this week to the cross, to end up on Golgotha's hill just outside the gate in Jerusalem, to be executed by Roman soldiers on a cross. Unlike last week's encounter in the desert, Jesus is not alone here. In the desert, at the start of his ministry, he was wrestling with the temptations. He was all alone. Here, this week, Palm Sunday and Holy Week, this is Jesus going public, public. This is Jesus announcing something. But much like last week's encounter, this week is a continuation of this mission that Jesus, the Christ, the man from Nazareth, is on, following his Father God's mission to usher in this new way of being in the world, this kingdom of God. So he's still on that mission. I remember last week we talked about the temptations. Jesus passed those three temptations. 
to inherit material goods, to gain popularity, or to gain all sorts of power, to shortcut the process to the throne, so to speak. Shortcut the process. Do it the way that the world does it. And he resisted those shortcuts. He resisted those temptations. His triumphant entry that we just read in Matthew 21 continues to subvert the way that you would get to that throne. Continues in that same trajectory about what we know about political figures or king figures that come to claim a kingdom, that come to rise to power. Jesus is just doing things differently. He's playing the game differently. He's showing us He's showing the watching world in that moment in first century Palestine. He's showing them that the kingdom of God looks different and the king that will reign in that kingdom is a different type of king, a lot different to what you might have expected. So let me just uh, frame what's going on in this passage that we just read. What is going on here? Let me just frame this. Tom Wright's going to help us with this. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, which I haven't, I don't know if Emma and Matt would Stuart are in the room, are they? No, not. They've just back from Jerusalem. Um, they can tell you what the Holy Land's like um, as of two weeks ago when they ran the Jerusalem Marathon. The Holy Land, when you go from Jericho to Jerusalem, there might be like a cross section of this that, yeah, yeah, there we go. So Jer- Jericho's in the middle. That's the Dead Sea, that little bit of water in the middle there. Jericho is the lowest city on the earth. It's 800 feet below sea level. And Jerusalem is only 12 miles up the road. And it's 3,000 feet, nearly 2,500 feet above sea level. Just 12 miles up the road. Gives you a little bit of an idea. So when Jesus is in this passage going to Jerusalem, it's a long, hard climb. It's a long, hard climb. Only a dozen or so miles But those are three hot, dry desert all the way to the top of the Mount of Olives, as we just read about. And at that point, when you reach the Mount of Olives, you're struck. Well, there's increasing vegetation for a start, but you're struck by this glorious sight of Jerusalem itself, which should come up here in this image. You can see the Temple Mount right in the middle. So that would be this. This is where Jesus is right at in Matthew 21. This is the, he's arrived with his followers after three years of journeying. And uh, wow, so that's, the, that's, where we're, that's where we are in the story. A glorious sight of Jerusalem itself. Even if you were on that road or traveling that every day because of business, you'd still, your breath would still be taken away by that view. There's views like that that we pass perhaps maybe every week here in Northern Ireland, in Ireland in a beautiful country. They, just, they always take your breath away. That's the type of, of impact that, that the Mount of Olives and arriving on that hill would have had. Delight and even relief when he gets to the top. Now, add on top of that, the anticipation that Jewish pilgrims coming from Galilee would have had every time they went up to Jerusalem for a festival, because that's what's happening on Palm Sunday and Holy Week. And several times a year, they were coming to the place, Jerusalem, where the living God had chosen to place his name in his presence. They were coming to the place where through regular daily sacrifice, he assured Israel of their forgiveness, of fellowship and connection with him, and of a hope, of a hope for the future. They were coming there to celebrate as pilgrims the great stories of deliverance, stories out of the empire of Egypt. And they were gonna be meeting with relatives and friends 
throughout the week and they were going to be singing and praying and dancing and feasting and they were on their way to Jerusalem. All that was implied by a pilgrim convoy coming up the hill from Jericho to Jerusalem. Now add on top of that again the anticipation and the gladness and the mood of the followers of the Rabbi Jesus of Nazareth who were going on that pilgrimage to Jerusalem because it was Passover time for them of course as well as freedom time but for them it was also kingdom time. It was kingdom time because it was in the air. It was time. It was time. It was in the air. As far as they were concerned Passover dreams, the great hope of freedom of God's sovereign and saving presence being revealed in a brand new way through Jesus, the Messiah. That would come at last in this week. The long climb up through that Judean wilderness was the climb to the kingdom. The climb to the kingdom. Everything in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four Gospels capture Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry. All of, all of what they're telling us is designed to emphasize this one thing. And this is really just the preach right here, so we could probably go home right now after this. It's not five past 11, that's one hour behind. I haven't knocked that board. I've not got an hour and a half to preach. The one thing that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are trying to emphasize is this, that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. His game of thrones, so to speak, he is going to take the throne. When God becomes king, that's what's happening in Holy Week. His followers had some ideas about who he was. Some, his followers, maybe just about starting to get it right now when he started to talk to them about what the week would hold. They're about to get it. Some of them, maybe not so. What, what, what do we think about Jesus? Who do we think Jesus is? Jesus king? Maybe we think in other terms, we think about him as savior, uh, which is right and true and Lord and friend and shepherd and brother. But what do you expect Jesus to be for you? Because their, their anticipation was that Jesus would be the Messiah, that he would be king. He would deliver them in the way that they thought he would deliver them, but they still had that framework that he would deliver them as king. What do we expect Jesus to be for us? The writers of the Gospels are keen to make us realize that Jesus is much, much more than perhaps we have realized. That he's not just about teaching the way of the kingdom, the Beatitudes we've been teaching about. He's not just teaching the way of the kingdom, but that he is the king of that kingdom. That he is coming to usher in that reign of God. And slowly the disciples are beginning to get this. Because Jesus was revealing the nature of that kingship, it was a different type of kingship. In Mark 10, when he's speaking to some of the disciples, he talks about kingship being more like a servant coming to serve rather than to be served. A servant king. The nature of this kingship is very different. There is no kingdom without a king. There's no kingdom without a king. And the king, much like his kingdom, is not playing by the rules of what people expect. What we perhaps don't realize is that this has really big implications for even us today because we're not pilgrims going up from Jericho to Jerusalem. We're people in Belfast in the 21st century, but it has some implications for us. This week that we're about to celebrate what happened with Jesus and his death and resurrection has big implications for us as followers of the way of Jesus. And we'll get to that later. But let me just show you two things from this text that help you to see that Jesus is king. 
From this moment on the Mount of Olives, we read this, that Jesus was looking out over that view in Jerusalem and he started to organize and curate his own arrival into the city. Jesus himself started to organize how he would enter the city. He sends two disciples to a nearby village to find a donkey with a, with a colt as well, a young, a young donkey as well. So two, there was the mother and the young colt. Whether this was planned or not, I don't know. It could have been impromptu. But, you know, the nearby village had a donkey and a colt ready. So perhaps it was planned. It seemed planned. And the disciples did this. And they found the donkey and the colt as Jesus described. Brought them back to Jesus. And Jesus sat on the donkey and rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. Why? What's Jesus doing here? Why? It's strange. It's like a parody in a way. Verse four tells us, if you've still got your your scriptures open, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The prophet that that we passage is referring to is the prophet Zechariah. In the lineage of Jewish prophets, throughout the years, they talked about this moment, that there would be a king that would come, a messiah. And uh, Zechariah spoke of how this Messiah would not arrive on a horse, like most kings, but on a donkey. Let me read it from the message, Zechariah 9, 9 to 10. It should come up on the screen. Shout and cheer, daughter Zion. Raise the roof, daughter Jerusalem. Your king is coming, a good king who makes all things right. A humble king riding a donkey, a mere colt of a donkey. I've had it with war, no more chariots in Ephraim, no more war horses in Jerusalem, no more swords and spears, bows and arrows. He will offer peace to the nations, a peaceful rule worldwide from the four winds to the seven seas. Zechariah's prophecy. And here's the thing, Jesus of Nazareth, the man going up from Jericho to Jerusalem, he knew his scriptures, he knew his Zechariah. So when he's curating his arrival into the Jerusalem, here's the thing, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus knew exactly the signal he was sending. If there's any any doubt about Jesus and his mission and who he thought he was, I think this passage is unbelievable in a sense because he knew that he was to arrive on a donkey. It was gonna send out the message that he was the king long awaited. He knew the expectations. He knew they'd been waiting on a, on, a, on a Messiah. He knew what the prophets had said, completely intentional by Jesus, revealing himself as king. But not the way that we would expect it. He reveals himself as a king that comes in humility because I suppose the expectations on this Messiah king would be to roll into town with an army or with a white horse or take it by force, deliver the people from the Romans overthrow those powers, but Jesus was to come on a donkey, a lowly, humble donkey, because he was subverting the way that we think kings should be. The powers of death themselves were in Jesus' crosshairs, not just the Roman Empire. Jesus was coming to do so much more as he began Holy Week to the cross than just deliver the Jews from the Romans. He was coming to deliver the world in a sense, from their sins, set the world free and free from death and into life. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. 
Here, a week before that uh, moment on, on the cross at Golgotha, we have Jesus riding in on this donkey, and he's subverting, as I said, the normal way that a military leader or a king would be. He's coming in, as I say, not on a, on a horse, not with a sword either. He's coming in on a lowly donkey. He's, he's humble. He's defenseless. And he's coming to reveal that his kingdom, ultimately, as we know, is one of love, not war. It's one of peace, not war. It's not about power, but it's about sacrifice. Jesus would usher in a new world. We even see this, if you, if you want to dig into this this week, when he's having that conversation with Pontius Pilate about truth and, and, and what the nature of truth and power. And where is this kingdom of yours, Jesus? It's not of this world in a sense. Pontius Pilate was confused about that, John 18 and 19. Jesus is no ordinary king here. He's rolling up with a few people around him on a donkey and it demands a response. So we've had the arrival. What was the response? What would your response be? What would our response be if we can picture ourselves there? The climax comes when we see in verse eight that people spread their cloaks on the floor, on the ground, as Jesus, on the back of this donkey, enters Jerusalem, they cut down palm branches and start to wave them. They start to sing a revolutionary song, a messianic song, Hosanna, the son of David. What's going on here? Here's the thing, people don't spread their cloaks, certainly in that day, on a dusty, stony, Middle Eastern floor. They don't do it for a friend. They don't even do it for a respected senior member of the family. They do it for royalty. So we had Jesus revealing himself as king, intentionally coming in on the donkey. And now we see the response. This is the second little glimpse. The first glimpse being Jesus himself revealing himself as king. The second response is how the people react to him that also points to them receiving him as royalty, as a king. You don't cut down branches off trees or foliage off the trees to wave in the street just because you're elated. You do it because you're welcoming a king. The palm branches signaled the crowd's expectations, a symbol, I suppose, that maybe we can't quite relate to in our culture. The Jewish history actually was one where uh, Judas Maccabeus, a freedom fighter, had entered Jerusalem 200 years before that. He had approached, um, as he approached Jesus, they waved palm branches and sang hymns. When Ju- Judas finally arrived, he defeated the Syrian king, he recaptured the temple, he expelled the pagans, he reigned for about a century before the Romans took back the city. So God had saved his people before uh, from an occupier, uh, and I suppose the people were saying, here's another revolutionary. Here's another one to come and deliver us from the Romans. Jesus was their hope that it would happen all over again. The Messiah to deliver them. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So here's the point, Redeemer, today. For some time, the disciples had believed. Some of the disciples, most of the disciples, maybe all of the disciples had believed that Jesus was the true and rightful king of the Jews. And he was on his way from Jericho to Jerusalem to claim the throne, so to speak, to be healed as a king. This is the moment for royal reception, as I've said. Hosanna, it's a a word of praise like we were singing this morning. Exuberant praise from the the people of God. A prayer that, that God would save them from their enemies. 
the beginning and the end of their cheerful chant is actually taken from Psalm 118, which is all about going up to Jerusalem to the temple. And the sentence that follows literally means blessed. Blessed is the one who comes. It means welcome. Jesus is being welcomed here. It's a dangerous prayer. And he's being welcomed to the kingdom of our father, David. Again, it's all about Jesus being king. It's a revolution. It's time for God to come. You see, the crowd that were doing this, the crowd that were laying their cloaks down and waving the palm branches, it was a small crowd, I guess. It wasn't like the whole of Jerusalem. It was a crowd that had followed Jesus. It was the crowd that had followed him up from Galilee to Jerusalem. And they'd come, or maybe it was some people in Jerusalem that heard about this Jesus and came, and they'd, maybe they'd heard stories and they had believed that Jesus was the one they'd come. But nonetheless, in this passage that we read in Matthew 21, there was a stir created in the city. So there was a little posse of people doing this, welcoming Jesus as king with the cloaks, with the, wave, the palm branches. But, but it had an impact. The, the, the city was stirred. Jesus had arrived to a week that would lead him, of course, as we know, to the cross. So I suppose this leaves us now thinking about, well, what next? What next? We don't want to rush through Holy Week. I want to just pause right at that moment that we find ourselves where Jesus is riding into the city on the horse. Imagine the tables at night in the homes. Imagine the conversation that night after Jesus had done this. Is he the king? Is he a blasphemer? Is he a traitor? I believe he's a king. Debate. Maybe even feistier debate than, dare I say, Brexit debate and all the rest of the political debates we have around our tables. Here's what I think about this passage. The arrival here of Jesus speaks to me, tells me that Jesus knew exactly who he was. And it leaves us, it left those people around those tables with a dilemma. Who is he? Who is he? It leaves us today, Redeemer, with a dilemma, with a choice to make. Because either we receive Jesus as king and all that that really means, or we don't receive him at all. There's a couple of crowds. There's more than a couple of crowds in Holy Week. There's the crowd that welcomed him on Palm Sunday. There's the other crowd. You know the crowd that went crucify him, crucify him on Good Friday. That's in five days' time. There's two different crowds, two different responses to this arrival of Jesus. Suppose my question today is, what do you expect Jesus to be for you? What do you expect Jesus to be for you? Who is Jesus? Who is this one? Do you have the reaction of the crowd on Palm Sunday? Anticipation. Do you, are you part of that crowd that we know that comes on Good Friday where you just want to dismiss Jesus completely? How do we receive Jesus ourselves? Even you individually, even you today sitting around your table individually, what do you think about this Jesus and his claims in this passage? Because I think Jesus put some demands on us here. I don't think Jesus is just a moral teacher teaching wisdom. I think he actually puts some demands right here on us. And we can choose where to go, but he's calling stuff out here. He's laying down a marker. Because this passage and the gospels in total are revealing Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the King of Israel. And thus, as we know, the King of the, the world, the King of the world, the King of the kingdom of God. He is the one that is coming to bring God's new reign in the world. And as I say, it just demands a choice. It demands a response. 
would you have thrown your cloak down? Or would you have just kept it on? Would you have taken it off and laid it down as Jesus walked in? Would that have been your response? Or would you have you've kept it up? What is our response? One thing Jesus does here is he puts a demand on us. Calls us to make a choice to reckon for ourselves but who this Jesus really is. In a sense, he's really saying there there isn't really any passengers here. It's like it's like you're in, it's like you're in or you're not. It's like come follow me, trust me. N.C. Wright says that the gospels are consciously telling the story of how God, one time action in Jesus, the Messiah, ushered in a new world order within which a new way of life was not only made possible, but it was mandatory for Jesus' followers. It was mandatory. Again, I ask the question, how do we receive? As we enter Holy Week this week, guys, how are we receiving Christ in our lives? Is he king of our hearts as we sing so often? Or is he just a good moral teacher? Do we throw down our cloaks for the king? Or do we, do we continue to wear them and stand off? Have we reckoned fully with the radical way of Jesus? What, that makes him king, that makes him lord of our hearts? Or have we somehow domesticated or trivialized our commitment to Christ? I just ask the question, what do you expect Jesus to be for you? What do you expect him to be? Is he he just someone to help you through your plan for life? Like get on board with your plan. Jesus, come and help me with my plan. Or is he king? Do we surrender to him? Have we received him fully as king? And the demands that that mean? Because there's no kingdom without a king. There's no kingdom without a king. I was thinking about the Queen of England this week because she's Queen of England, but in a way, it's the closest we can relate to a monarchy in our culture. But also, it's not really the same as like what kings used to be like because kings used to actually rule and reign and have power. Like, God bless Queen Elizabeth, but she doesn't have that type of power the way that our, our, the United Kingdom is, is organized. We, we are a democracy. So in a sense, she's powerless. She's just a symbol of something. But she's reduced. She's, you could argue, sort of domesticated. She's to sell the UK to the world. And she does a brilliant job at it. I suppose we could argue that. That's not for today. It's a different, for a different day. You get my point. You're following what I'm saying. Jesus is not that type of queen or king. Jesus comes to rule. He comes to rule. He does not come to be sidelined in our hearts, cooped up in a palace off to the side and we get down to the real business in government. That's not the type of king that Jesus is. He's also not a king that comes, as we said, a military power on a horseback to come and take the place by force. But he comes with peace. He comes with peace. I wonder what type of king Jesus is to us. Where's our loyalty today to Jesus? What do we, how do we receive him in our lives? Where do our allegiances lie? Jesus is king. 
I guess it's for us as a community here, uh, Holy Week is a moment for us to maybe ask some of these questions, maybe reflect, because there's a gracious, open invitation for us, because we know that the week ahead and Holy Week, when we move through each day and we get to Good Friday, we know that there is much suffering um, and sorrow to grieve, and then we know that there is hope for those who have faith and do know Jesus as King. There is much hope to celebrate on Easter Sunday, but there is an awful journey to go on before we get there, before we get there. But in this community here, that invitation is open, open to us. And I wonder, I just wonder, do we just, are we taking Jesus' teachings, as I say, as simply these nice ideas? Or are we really beginning to wrestle with what it means to lay our cloaks down, to bow the knee, to make Christ Lord and to work, work out, live out his way of being in the world as a witness, as a witness to all the other powers, as a witness to all of the other empires that rule this world. We declare that, well, there is a different kingdom with a different king who does not rule with war and violence, but with peace. Why build this way? The kingdom is a king, as I said. He is the Caesar, I guess, of a different order, completely unlike Caesar. He is Jesus, the one who lays his life down for the sheep. He is the one who shuns power and position. He is the stone that the builders rejected. Yet long after Rome and long after Caesar and long after first century occupied Palestine, today in Belfast and across this world, the kingdom of Christ is still being built from the bottom up, grassroots, as a subversion of the worldly power. And this kingdom is open for all of us to enter in, to receive Christ as king. It's open for all of us to build our lives upon that manifesto of his kingdom, of his rule and his reign. And ultimately, Redeemer, it's open for us to pledge allegiance to him, to stand to the king of love who went to the cross, complete with a crown of thorns. And so, Redeemer, that's the, that's the challenge that we have today on Palm Sunday. That's the message that Jesus has arrived and Jesus knows what he's doing. And Jesus invites you to make a choice. He invites you, he woos you, he challenges you. To say, where is your allegiance today? How are you gonna receive me? He's praying for you today that you would lay your cloak down, that you would bow the knee and that you would be a part of seeing his reign and his kingdom come. I'd love to talk a little bit about, because this is just a primer. This is setting up the week that we're going to enter into this week. I want to talk just very quickly as I close, just about some stuff that's going on this week in Redeemer that I believe are ways, means, practices, moments that are going to help us consider that question. Because you don't have to, you can give an answer now. The Spirit might be working on you, challenging you now. You might sense that you want to surrender to the King Jesus right now, but you want to wrestle with that question all week. How am I receiving Jesus? I want to receive Jesus. Lord, come and make that happen in my life. There are some ways this week that we want to carve out space where we can welcome Jesus. So all online, at redeemercentral.com forward slash Easter. All the stuff I'm about to talk about, you can find there. Wednesday night, 
We're going to have a prayer and worship night. I think it's going to come up. Yeah, 7.30. We're going to meet here to pray and to worship Christ as King and seek his presence. As part of Holy Week, we're going to do that. We've been meeting every month to do that. And we've got this moment this week and Holy Week to do that. I would love if we could all gather for that night to worship the King and to wrestle with this question of how might we receive Christ as King into our community. Friday night, the 19th, this place is going to be open as a creative space because that's Good Friday. It's, it's, it's the moment we know that is the center of our faith, Christ on the cross. We're going to create a reflective space in here with stations of the cross and with Eucharist and with prayer stations and, and other things that are going to help facilitate your reflection upon Christ on Good Friday. Easter Sunday, Next week, 11 a.m., Ryan is going to be teaching on the resurrection of the King. On the resurrection of the King and the hope that we have in Christ. Come, we're going to celebrate. It's going to be great. But one more thing coming up. We've got a little art show on all week. We're going to put the Stations of the Cross in posters just outside our building, across the front of our building. There's 12 posters. You can see that. Keep an eye out for it all week. You'll see it if you come along on Wednesday night. You'll see it if you come along on Friday. You'll see it all week. It'll be out on the front of the street as a little bit of a provocation, as a little bit of an encouragement, as a revelation, I suppose, that this king that we follow is one that identifies with us. The 12 stations that... Our, our, our Jesus journey to the cross where he is tempted, where he is betrayed, where he is mocked, where he is beaten. It's a way to say that I am with you in your humanity. I am with you. I am a king who is with you. We're gonna put it on the street to see what happens. But here's the big thing I wanna encourage you to do today, which is the last one, which is the prayer room. We have a prayer room that is just effectively behind that screen um, in a little room. And we're opening that up all week. And um, we would really love you to book in to pray because we're making it available for individuals, for couples, for small groups to book a slot to go into that room in this building during the week from 7 a.m. to 9 at night for an hour, for two, for three, for whatever you want. You can do it multiple times. It's starting to fill up a little bit. We would love to see that fill up as much as possible. We'd love to invite you into that as a place where you can go to pray. Pray into all the stuff we've been talking about this morning. Pray for our community, pray for our city, pray for our nation. Because we wanna be a people, as Jude was exhorting us to, a people who worship, people who have a posture of worship and prayer. It's another way that we're carving out space this week to receive Christ this week as King. It's another space. So there's a website. Everyone get their phones out. Go for it, get your phones out. Come and type that in if you can do it. RedeemerCentral.com forward slash prayer room. And you'll see that little grid that'll come up. Hopefully it works on mobile phones. I've never even checked it on mobile phones. So you go home and check it on your laptops. You can create a little login and you can just book a slot in on that website. So I would love you to do that. You can do it now. You can do it during the rest of the morning. You can take it home and do it when you get home. I would love you to do that because... We, we, wanna, we wanna create some space for you guys to engage with Holy Week in a way that's really meaningful and connected to what we're doing here and encourage a culture of prayer and worship, another way to receive Christ as King. I'd love you to stand, because that's us. <laughs> I'm gonna invite the worship band up. We've got the table.
with bread, with wine, some gluten-free options here too. And I'd love us to come because this is just the beginning. This is not the only part of Easter. This is just the first day. We've got a long week ahead. It's a week full of much promise. So we're just getting started this morning. I'd love to invite you to come to the table that Christ has provided for us to celebrate him. To celebrate him and to receive him perhaps as king, maybe even for the first time. Maybe if you've never received Christ in your life, you can do that by just coming and taking of the bread, which reminds us of his body and drinking of the wine that reminds us of his blood, which he gave to do in remembrance of him because of his sacrifice for us. It's available and open to everyone, including if it's the first time that you want to receive Christ. But we all need to receive a little bit more of Christ today in our lives. We need to make more space for his kingship, his rule and his reign in our lives. So as we come to the table, I want that to be on our hearts as we do it. How am I receiving Christ as king today? What are the demands he's calling, he's put on my life and he's calling me to to do? Are we ready to put our cloaks down and welcome him? I think there's an invitation for us. I want to lead us in a little liturgy and then Connor and the guys are going to lead us uh, in a song. Liturgy's going to come up very quickly. You guys can, uh, oh, it's not, it's not working. Eh, I'll just read it. Honor, honor and praise, honor, praise and glory, honor, praise and glory are yours, almighty God, now and forever. In celebration, we join the crowds of old, waving branches, giving honor to the king, Yet our celebration is bittersweet, for our story doesn't end here. We know the pain of what lies ahead. Today anticipates the rest of the story, a story of betrayal and death, a story of hope and resurrection. Let's say this together. Save us, Lord. Hosanna. Praise the Lord. Alleluia. To you who triumphed over death, we sing your praise. Your steadfast love endures forever. As we face your death and recall the week of your suffering, may we do so with a joy that anticipates the celebration of your resurrection. May we do so with the confidence declaring our allegiance to you, King Jesus, hope of the world. And everyone says it, amen.